You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hey, Tuesday, everybody. We're back. We had the day off yesterday. Hope you didn't miss us too much. And now we've just got a, a backload of things to get to. There is so much news. We're absolutely going to have to do some quickies today to hit some stuff across the sports world. Uh, lots of NFL talk to get to. I know Fitz has been exploding with takes on the weekend of games and the weekend coming up. Uh, and of course, uh, we've got a very prestigious day because we will be honoring Dan Orlovsky with the Good Take Hot Take MVP award <laughs> for the season. In our inaugural season of Good Take Hot Take, he was far and away the winner when it came to delivering us content fresh and hot and ready every single Monday. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All those great guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including Mina Kimes, to talk about the story that she released with Jeff Passan late last night. Uh, I was already going to stay up late, and then it hit, and I uh, found myself uh, bodying people on social media for far too long who wanted to disagree with the very basic principle that uh, colleagues, bosses, anybody in the workplace, really anyone, really literally anyone with any relationship to anyone should not send unsolicited pictures of their genitals to someone. Um, And that is the case with the Mets GM. Well, former GM, because uh, this was a story that hit quickly, Fitz, and resulted in action very quickly. It was released last night, and Jared Porter, the 41-year-old who has been on the job for 35 days under this new Mets owner, has been fired as a result of sending explicit, explicit text to a foreign reporter, a woman who had moved from another country to cover baseball, and I think the most simple way to describe exactly how predatory and inappropriate and creepy this was, was that he sent 60 plus messages without getting a response before sending the picture of his naked genitals. Or as he says, he claims it's somebody else's naked genitals, uh, not his own. Um, Fitz, what was your reaction when you saw this? You know, I think the first thing was to to look at it and think, man, how do we get here, right? Like, how does somebody get to this point where they get a job uh, with an organization and this falls through the cracks? And the courage it took for somebody to stand up and say, hey, this happened to me. And uh, obviously they've done it uh, with anonymity for a reason. And I look no further than your Twitter wall today to get a reminder of why anonymity is so important in these instances because the amount of ignorance that surrounds this topic is really mm-hmm. stunning to me. And, and I got to say, I know you got a lot uh, to say on this, Sarah, but one thing that really stunned me was the amount of people today talking about women in sports in a male-dominated industry. And I can tell you, in the last several years, I've had the opportunity, as you have throughout your life, to become close friends with a lot of athletes. And the one thing that surprises me is fans seem to have this mindset that athletes don't want women around the game. They don't want women reporting on the sport. They don't want them in the locker room. They don't want them talking about that's just not true. I have not met any substantial or accomplished athlete that has ever said to me, even in confidence as a friend, man, what I really hate is women around the game. It's the opposite. And at some point, the ignorance of the fan base that seems consumed with the concept that women don't belong is shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, that is not shocking to me. Uh, The idea that we don't belong has been something that I have been told for the entirety of my life, not just in this business, but in the sports world in general. Um, To your point, though, there's so much ignorance around this, and there's really no excuse for it anymore. If you are someone who currently says things like, why didn't she come out earlier? Or um, why don't women report if this is such a problem? Wouldn't it be better if we knew who all these bad actors are? And of course it would be. But there are so many obvious reasons that women don't report. 
and the fact that people have not done enough work to understand the nuances of workplace harassment is uh, is indicated by those who argue that you should when you have no power or agency, when you are at a level where men can take advantage of power dynamics who have great influence to either help or hurt your career, that you should be willing to risk it. And no matter how much progress we've made with Me Too, we are still an industry, the sports industry in particular, maybe more than others even, we're not yet in a place where women can speak up without penalty, even when men admit it, even when men are convicted of a crime, they are still going to receive harassment and blame and the stain of being associated with it forever. I look at a situation that there is it, it is an impossibility to blame someone for what happened, and that's Aaron Andrews. She was in her own room. She was violated in a way that she had absolutely no control over and deserves zero blame for, and yet she is someone who has to deal with that for the rest of her life, has to deal with perverts and jerks and disrespectful people for something that not even a tiny bit of blame could be assigned to her. And that is one example of hundreds. So not understanding why this might not have come out sooner is to not have devoted any time whatsoever to understanding the situation. Uh, and, and Jeff Passan, one of the people who broke this story, and you can find it on the dot com, was on KJNZ this morning and talked about uh, the timing of this. I think something changed when he got hired as Mets GM. She had lost her career in journalism. She had gone back to her home country and was working in finance. And she sees him ascending to this esteemed position and says, there's something really wrong, not just with sports, but with the world, when somebody can do something like that, and I end up in my position, and he just keeps climbing the ladder. And I think, you know, when we spoke with her, she said, I want to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. Yeah, Fitz, I think one thing that people don't talk about enough, and we heard this with the Washington football team too, the number of women that go through this, and instead of making their way out of it to at least a position where it's riskier for men to try this because they have some agency and voice, they leave. Their career is over. Their voices are, are silenced. Their contributions are gone. And these men, like Porter, two years from now resurface, give us a speech about how they're rehabilitated and they know they were wrong, and back they are in those positions of power. And we don't hear from the women again, and they don't get to come back in because it's not worth it to them to have to go through this just to do a job. Why are we so busy trying to find fault with the victim in this, too? Like, I realize that's just part of where society is, but the timing of it, to me, isn't really important. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get that mm -hmm. this wasn't reported right away, but who cares? Like, when somebody comes in and, as the kids like to say, has their receipts, right? Like, hey, this is what happened. I, I don't really care when it happened. It's still mm -hmm. an important thing to be discussing today for somebody that was put into a position where integrity is part of his job, right? Like, that—that that is, he is part of creating a culture around an organization. So for somebody to turn around and say, hey, he's part of creating this culture and this is who he is, I think that's it's absolutely fair to bring that up and look at it. This isn't something that happened 15 years ago that he's saying, well, here's all the things that I've gone through since then in life to fix who I am. No, this, like he got busted with his hand in the cookie jar doing something he shouldn't have been doing a few years ago. And I don't really care about the timing of it. Like we should be at this point uplifting the victim and not suddenly shaming the victim and finding some reason to justify the actions of the person. Right, because it's not on our timeline uh, suddenly. Uh, Jeff Passan was also on Greeny today with Mike Greenberg and said this about baseball and sports at large. 
baseball has been a sport that for a really long time, not just baseball, Greeny, the, the entire sports world has been a place that has been inhospitable to women. And, and while we've made progress, uh, progress isn't enough. Like the, there need to be moonshots. There need to be leaps. There, there need to be changes in the sports culture that allow women to thrive like they deserve to. Yeah. And, and it's not just sports, right? It's big picture. This is about entitlement. When somebody sends 60 plus messages with no response because they've decided this is what I want and I'm not taking no for an answer. That is a larger societal issue of men being taught that women are to be earned and pursued and convinced to do something, even if they've said no. And in the end, that you are owed the thing that you want. If you push hard enough and convince hard enough and press hard enough, you will get that thing because you've decided it's up to you if you want it and not up to her. And and again, she was a foreigner, an up-and-comer in a different country, speaking a different language in a male-dominated space, and he knew that he could help or hurt with his info and his influence, and so he took advantage. And I ask you this on our way to break, Fitz. If this was a high-profile athlete with the Mets. Would they be fired today? Oh, that's a great question. Probably not. Probably not. Because it's not the crime. It's the value of the criminal plus the crime. In this case, not an actual crime, although it might be. I'd have to look into that. But it's the value of the person. And your GM, who's been on the job for 35 days, is an easy place to make a statement. The question is, would you make the same statement with somebody else? Uh, we're going to get back to this. Mina Kimes is going to join us and talk about it as well, the story that she uh, co-wrote with Jeff Passon. You can find it on .com. we got to get some uh, NFL talk. We're down to four teams. We got stripped of a show yesterday, so we didn't get to talk about it. So we're going to get to it next on Spain & Fitz. You're listening to the Spain & Fitz podcast. Spain Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We'll get with Mina Kimes, by the way, in just a little bit to get her thoughts as we'll continue uh, an important conversation about what's going on uh, with the New York Mets. But in the meantime, we didn't have a show yesterday to get some things off our chest about the weekend. So we're going to start, Sarah, with some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And I don't mean the weekend as in like the weekend that's singing at Super Bowl halftime. I don't think they could advertise that any more than they have. And I'm really, frankly, over it. Like, I, I get it. The weekend's doing the halftime I love that show. song so much, though, that like every time the commercial goes on, I'm like, hmm. I'm like back into it again. I'm like, oh, it's that commercial again. No, I just can't. I can't. I can't. Like, I, I love the song, but I'm like, my God. Okay, I get it. The weekend's playing the halftime show. Let me uh, let me live at this point. So uh, maybe I'm just a little bitter about you know the fact that I put a little cash out. You know, that I, I'm, I'm dabbling. I'm in the Keep art doing this. of gambling, and this time I thought, you know what? I'd get really creative. I'd get creative, and instead of just going with an outcome of a game, I'd take one individual performance. So I oh, put boy. a wee bit of cash on Patrick Mahomes throwing for over. 320 oh, so yards. Oh, you jinxed him. I felt great at the half when they're like 255 <laughs> yards in the first half. I'm putting my feet up. I'm like, whoa, what am I going to do with this free cash that I'm getting? And then all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes obviously goes down uh, with the injury. We do know at this point he is out of concussion protocol, but a game that was 19-3 to early in the second half that I think Chiefs fans felt really good about turned out to be a puckered up game that came all the way down to the end. And one of the more significant and signature play calls I can remember on fourth and inches with the backup quarterback in to put the ball in Chad Henney's hands and say, go win us this game. I mean, Andy Reid is just, he's playing at a different level than the rest of these coaches. Yeah, the onions on that. And I and I loved that it was so perfect that we had Tony Romo on the call because he's always going to walk you through it. First, he like 
climaxed when Henny ran for 13 yards, didn't get the first down, but made a big play, right? Like, he was so excited about that. But then he's walking us through, oh, they're going to try to get him offsides. No way they run a play here. They're absolutely not running a play. I can tell by looking at them right now that none of them are set up to, oh, my God, they're running a play, right? <laughs> like, it was the perfect person because you can't fool Tony Romo. He always knows what's coming. And even Andy Reid has the onions to finally get it, get one by Tony Romo. It was it was one of those things, Fitz, where you could take it for granted and say, well, Henny didn't have to do that much, but he absolutely could have imploded and lost that game. No, it, it would not at all be out of the realm of possibility for Mahomes to go out and for that to be the end of that team. If it were either of our favorite teams in a must-win game, <laughs> oh, and we watched oh, the ball go to— so in, in, since we in, had a I know, right. Shotgun, fourth and one, late in the game to seal it, backup quarterback in, you're not even trying to sneak— and you snap the ball and then ask the quarterback to roll out and deliver the ball. Like, I, I mean, frankly, you and I would Six be yelling. Yards, oh, my not God. A chance. I mean, too far. <laughs> too much room for error. Um, no, but the Mahomes thing is going to be an interesting one to follow because, first of all, he's got the toe issue, which, um, you know, I think most people think there's some pretty easy fixes there for that part of it. But a lot of people, Fitz, are not buying. The was it a neck issue versus was it a real concussion and watching the play? It didn't look like that big of a hit. So is it maybe, you know, this other reaction that's very strange, but that's what caused him to not get his balance. Some people, no matter you could show them the medical reports, they will not believe that Patrick Mahomes is ready and should be cleared for this game. And I'm almost certain he's going to be in. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he's not in. I mean, you're talking about somebody that dislocated his kneecap, had a cup of tea, and came back, right? So right. Uh, you think about the the toughness of Patrick Mahomes. But I mean, if, if I'm the Bills Mafia, boy, I feel pretty good about it because the Bills played incredibly well in some ways. But I also look at that Ravens matchup against the Buffalo over the weekend and feel like the Ravens got to look at it and say, man, how do we lose that? Like, they, mm-hmm. they held that offense in check largely but just couldn't get anything going. And I'm sitting here saying, what is it that's going to make the Ravens that epic team? Because right now it looks like weapons. they're sort of, we, we know who they are, right? And maybe you're right. Maybe it's better better weapons around Lamar. And I'm not going to give Stefan Diggs all the credit, but look at the maturity and growth from Josh Allen from surrounding him with the guys that he's got now. A lot of it is him. It's play calling. It's development. It's everything else. But it's also having those weapons. I think that's a big part of it for Lamar. And shout out, by the way, to the Bills fans who once again turned their absolute insane fanaticism into a positive. Uh, I think they're they're probably, I don't even know how much it's up to now. Last I checked, it was over $300,000 to blessings in a backpack for Lamar uh, Jackson's Louisville area where he went to school, his charity, uh, which they've been doing when someone helps get them to the playoffs or gets injured or something bad happens. Like those lunatics are lunatics. Don't get me wrong but in the best possible way. And so that was a very cool thing that they did. Uh, it was tough to see Lamar go down. It was really tough uh, to, in both of those games to have these dominant quarterbacks. You want to see a game end and feel like both sides were in it and won one. And you sure saw that with the Bucks saints game. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I guess you wouldn't say that about the Saints defense. They would say, hey, wait a minute. We didn't lose that game. Oh, my uh, God. Our offense gave it away with all those turnovers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was a game where at least you saw everybody be upright all the way till the finish. Yeah, and that's a maybe the benefit there. But you're right. I mean, that was the game I got wrong. Uh, loudly, I'll say it. I thought the Saints were going to roll, and you know, Drew Brees didn't look right from the outset. The, the offense just didn't look right mm-hmm. from the outset. Now, I don't want to take credit away from Tampa Bay. I understand that, but I don't think Tampa went out and played this epic, incredible, mind blowing game. 
it really felt like the Saints couldn't get any rhythm going. And that was that was a surprise to me. I expected at least some sort of pop from uh, from Breeze, no matter where he's been this year, no matter his age. I expected some sort of a pop from Breeze and some ability to get him in rhythm. And it just felt like they didn't have that from the I, – I never understood what New Orleans was trying to accomplish offensively because they couldn't keep anything going. All of their touchdowns were off of Saints turnovers, right? Yeah. That's the game right there. That's the game. You give them good field position – you give away your opportunity to score, and you let them have another shot, and that's that's the game. And if it ends up being Bree's last game, it's a really tough way to go out for a Hall of Famer. But it is so rare, Fitz, for someone to get to go out on top. It is so rare to have that perfect story where in your last game you're playing great and you still decide to hang him up, or maybe even not playing great like Peyton Manning, but you still get to win. <laughs> it is much more common um, and and tough to watch, regardless of your feelings about a player, when they're as accomplished as Breeze is. Um, and it's been really remarkable to see the response from teammates and players. You know, the Honey Badger tweeted out the impact for the city after what they went through with Katrina and everything else. Um, obviously, just a massive piece of the league. If he's done, that's a that's a huge hole down there in New Orleans that we've gotten so used to over the over the course of his entire tenure in the NFL. Such a great point about his legacy is about more than just the Saints and what he did on the field. It's really about the city of New Orleans. Now there is still this shot that we could end up with the Bills taking on Tom Brady and having to get through that to get a Super Bowl, which I would find ironic. Uh, but in the meantime, for Brady to do that, he has to get past Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, my God, I mean, I just it, it was art. It, it, I don't think he made a mistake. You just look at him. Th- the, one of those days where his you know what doesn't stink. Like he is just what they're accomplishing in Green Bay offensively. Just it, it's a marvel to watch yeah you know the the only game that uh well, well we had the bucks game wrong we called we called the saints but um i think we both were fairly confident that the rams just wouldn't be able to keep up despite having that great defense and the defense didn't look so great when they were looking at aaron Rodgers. and you're right i mean just absolute perfection precision from him uh 23 of 36 almost 300 yards two touchdowns and that is a game that i am looking forward to i mean uh just we got we got Brady Breeze and now we end up with Brady Rogers. I mean, the NFL folks must be incredibly happy with the storylines around, you know, the old heads getting that one last shot this year. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. If that was Green Bay against the best defense in the league, even without Aaron Donald, I can't imagine anybody being able to put up much of a fight against that offense. So kudos to what they're doing there. Uh, And we'll get ready for a big weekend over the course of the week. But coming up, we always love to give you a hot take or not. Well, we'll get to our MVP for that. Dan Orlovsky is going to join us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Wow, this is an incredible honor to have the most valuable person, the MVP. And yes, I'm talking about Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL expert, joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline. The MVP of the 2021 season of Good Take Hot Take. Wow, what an honor to have the man in the building that has starred in almost every episode of good take hot take here on spain and fitz you got a lot of takes man and we are so thankful for it you are just serving up content on a daily basis uh so let's go through some of your takes and you will tell us the final definitive word on whether what you said was a good take or a hot take and let's start with one very close to my heart let's see if you remember this mitchell Trubisky, barring injury to nick Foles, will never play again for the chicago bears good take or hot take 
It was a good take because I felt that Matt Nagy had made it like a very clear uh, decision that he, I mean, they pulled them when they were two and zero, and they were in like a two score game. Like if you're doing that and Mitchell Trubisky's leading your team and you're two and zero and you're pulling him, then like you were committed to pulling him at the first sign of poor play. So I felt good about that take at that moment. Obviously, Mitchell kind of gets hot near the end of the season. I'll repeat the take, though. I don't think he plays for the Bears again. <laughs> okay, we got a new one to judge later. Uh, and you were right. I mean, he came back because of a Foles injury. All right, let's see if you remember this one then. I think it's time to go back to Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> okay, so good take or hot take? Huh. Uh, again, I'm going to say a good take, like at some <laughs> point. Because here's the thing with Nick. Nick was the guy that, like, okay, we got a great defense. As long as we, you know, scored 20, we got a good chance to win and don't give the ball away. But when Nick became the quarterback that was giving the ball away and hurting the strength of the football team, which was, was the defense, like, if you're not going to stop doing that, I, I've got to go to somebody else, and Mitchell Trubisky was the option. Dan Orlovsky with us here on Spain and Fitz, going through his own takes to tell us if they were good or they were hot. Let's go to a conversation about another quarterback. Teams now know what he can't do. He cannot see coverage change from pre-snap to post-snap. And what they're doing is they're showing him something before the snap, and they're changing it after the snap, and they know where the ball is going to go. They dictate to him where the ball is going to go, and it showed itself real quickly yesterday. And it was just a very poor performance. And it's not something that's going to get fixed by next Sunday. It's just not. And so – in the present, you're concerned about it because how do you get it to play good enough to win in meaningful games? And then the long term, you're concerned because what happens if it's something that he never, ever, ever fixes? Do you remember who you were talking about? Baker Mayfield. That's right. Okay, good take or hot take? Good take. Um, <laughs> again, that was something that really was a big part of his flaw the first month of the season was he was really struggling to see coverage change and they were asking him to play drop back quarterback and I think Baker was like probably one of the prime examples this year of the no off season and we myself like looked at the play and, and kind of didn't give the curve so to speak of the no off season there and so what happened was they they really leaned heavily on the play action pass and Baker did a really good job of defining his eyes throughout the season so that was a good take at the moment are you convinced now that he can be the guy going forward did you see enough in the second half of the season yeah absolutely you know I've always had Baker's back I've been a Baker believer I don't think that the Browns need to rush and give him a contract this offseason I know people have brought that up he's had one half of a season that was really good a poor season last year and then a pretty darn good season this year so I think you pick up his fifth year option and, and want to see two really good years in a row but uh, Baker played really impressive football this season. Good take, hot take, MVP, first ever for the 2021 season. Dan Orlovsky with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's head out to another quarterback, Sam Darnold, this time. I guarantee Sam Darnold will become a really, 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 really good NFL quarterback somewhere outside of New York. Okay, so this is not one that you can say with certainty. It's a wait and see. But are you still as confident as you were then? Absolutely. The only thing that I would change about it is it might happen in New York now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, I, I love their new hire. I love the staff that he's bringing in the offensive 
scheme that he's bringing. So, you know, if they determine Justin Fields or Zach Wilson isn't going to be as good as what we think Sam Darnold's going to be, then I could see it happening in New York. But um, if he goes to the right spot, and that's the big thing, you know, he's not going to have a third chance in the NFL. So if he goes to the right spot and the right spot, the ideal spot for him, for me, is San Francisco. If he goes there, that is still a good take. If he goes somewhere else, um, God knows where, Chicago, that would be a hot take. <laughs> oh, no. Don't use my city as an example, even though I know it's a terrible like place that in there. for quarterbacks. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, let's move on to another Dan Orlovsky good take, or was it a hot take this time about Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz won't take another snap for the Philadelphia Eagles ever again. Good take or hot take? <laughs> Surprisingly, I don't struggle with confidence. I still think that's a good thing. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I know. Uh, listen, like, do I think there's a better chance that he's back in Philly, obviously, with the coaching change? Yes. But I would say this, Sarah. The fact that we are at January, what, 19th today? Um, yeah. and And Doug Peterson's 10 days removed from being the head coach of the Eagles, and there has still not been a single word from Carson Wentz to me, still says, I don't want to be here. The fact that there hasn't been something, an Instagram post, a Twitter message of Frank, uh, uh, Doug Peterson, I'm thankful for our time together. You brought me into the NFL. I did learn so much from you. The fact that there hasn't been anything coming from him tells me that he still wants out of Philadelphia. While there might be a greater chance that he stays now, um, I, I still think that there's a better chance he's not there. All right, we've got one more chance to get the MVP of Good Take, Hot Take, who, spoiler alert, Dan, I don't think that Fitz said that every one of those was a hot take or, a, I mean, a good take. I don't think I did either. So you're you're batting a 1,000 as far as you're concerned. Let's see if you agree with the very last one that has become even more relevant right now. There is not another young quarterback that I would take over Joe Burrow outside of Patrick Holmes. I think he's that good. Uh-huh. I think he's that special. Okay. Good take or hot take. Now recall and remember that one Deshaun Watson is 25 years old, the same age as Patrick Mahomes. So if you're going by young, meaning 25 or younger, maybe, are you still yeah, saying yeah. that? Uh, um, you could do it. Say, you could say hot. You could say hot. Say that's a hot take. Yeah! I'm going to say that's a hot take, okay? So I, I give myself, I build myself two things in here. One, that came from a group text message thing when I was watching Burrow and the group text is the NFL live crew, me, Mina Kimes, Marcus Spears, and Ruddy. And I just sent out this text to them like, yo, guys, I, I love Burrow coming into the draft. I'm like, yo, Burrow is amazing. And I just – I loved everything about his game. And I sent that like – outside of Pat, I don't want any young quarterback. And Mina was like, you're nuts. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to take him over to Sean. And so I was like, you know what, I'll say it on television. So that was part of it. And then the – the somber part of this is the the knee injury does scare me. I hope that he comes back monster and whatnot, but it does scare me. So I'm, I'm going to say hot take. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz uh, with us in just a little bit. Dan Orlovsky, the MVP of Good Take, Hot Take with us. Thank you so much for going through your previous statements and owning them uh, and for providing all that content for us. You are never short of takes, and we love that about you. A couple more quick questions before we let you go. In regards to the Deshaun Watson thing, is there any chance, is there any package that the, the Bears could provide that could bring him to Chicago and make good on the on the error that they made in the draft the first time around? 
Yeah, I think there's a chance. I think the likelihood is if the Houston makes this terrible decision of trading him, which I think they have to, I don't think they're going to send him to the AFC. That would be like the dumbest of dumbs, right? And so I think the NFC teams have the best chance. I mean, if you're going to say Chicago, you know, what can you send? Like three first-round picks? Do you send Khalil Mack or something as well? Like, I think there's there, there's a way because, again, not being able to send him to the AFC or wanting to, it's going to shrink your teams. And so I think if you send him three first-rounders and Khalil Mack or something, at least gets you on the phone and, and having the conversation. I give him everything. Give him what I just I just want a quarterback to root for. I actually I mean I want to win games, but I would actually take all the losing we're already doing and with a quarterback that's at least someone to believe in. Uh, let's talk about uh some teams that do have quarterbacks and that's why they've made it as far as they have. The matchups uh this weekend. First of all, when you look at this Patrick Mahomes situation, uh if you had to guess, you think he's going to be out there this weekend? 100%. Yeah. 100% Patrick Mahomes is playing in this football game. Um I think he'll clear protocol um, and, and fingers crossed on obviously, but I think he's going to play. You know, the toe is more of the conversation for me than the head. Um, if you see Shefty's tweets today, Shefty said it was very promising and, you know, tomorrow's a big day. But, you know, the turf toe or what I'm thinking is turf toe I've done twice, it stinks. It absolutely stinks. But I think they'll put a metal plate in his foot or in his shoe to make sure it doesn't bend and they'll shoot it up and, and he'll be pretty serviceable when it comes to that. But, yeah, I think he's going to play. You had said in one of your good takes that I did not bring back for further analysis that you thought the Bills were the team in the AFC with the best chance to beat the Chiefs. We will now find out if that's the case. Now, you have to presume a bit about what condition Patrick Mahomes is going to be and how that might affect this game. But how do you see this one going? Yeah, just for clarification purposes, I said that in October before everybody else in the world started to say it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, more credit. More credit. We already gave yeah, you a yeah. million good takes, Again, and now you, now you want the first. Take, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, this, is, this will be a great game uh, um, because it pits a very similar philosophy offensively. Um, guys that are brutal matchups, Stephon Diggs and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and Cole Beasley, um, t- coaches that believe in throwing the football, players and quarterbacks that can go above the X's and O's. They can win the rep when the defense has a great play. They can be explosive. They can beat you kind of whatever way you want. I think for the Bills, my number one philosophy would be Josh Allen, play patient. You know, the, the, the Chiefs played such zone coverage in that last game, and Josh played impatient early on, and you can lose the game in the first quarter. You can't win it. Um, and then make them cover Stephon Diggs. I'd bring Stephon Diggs on the inside and go, okay, who you got? Who you got? If you're going to play us in man coverage, you ain't got nobody who can do it on the inside against 14. And then for Kansas City, I'd put Travis Kelsey on one side of the field by himself, and I'd put Tyree Kill at the number three wide receiver <laughs> position on the other side and say, good luck. You know, like, stop it. Whatever whatever you want to do, stop it. And I don't, I don't know if Buffalo uh, can for four quarters. Yeah. It's Spade and Fitz. We're talking to Dan Orlovsky. Of course, one last question before we let you go, and we appreciate the time. Uh, Bucks packers I was surprised by how things went against the Saints, but essentially the Saints handed over that game with the turnovers, and the Bucks did a decent job of protecting Brady, which has been the key all year. Can they do the same against a Green Bay team that is not going to hand over, I think it was the least amount of turnovers in all of the league in the regular season? Yeah, Tampa would have to play better offensively. You know, they didn't light it up last week, like to your point, offensively. I think, you know, with, with Tampa Bay, A.B.'s health is a big deal. Um, will they stay as committed to the run as possible? Like, that was the big thing last week against New Orleans was 
you know, they got those first two possessions New Orleans did like inside the 20-yard line and they held them to field goals. That allowed Tampa Bay to stay in the game and continue to run the ball. So will they keep the game close early on against a really good Green Bay offense? And then for Green Bay, you know, how are they going to handle Tampa's pressure that ate them up the first time? If they've got a better plan for it, hence screens, um, you know, that'll be a very big tell if they can win this football game. Dan, we appreciate the time, and the trophy is in the mail. Uh, your good uh, take, hot take trophy. Thank you for the content. Thank you for the takes. We are forever grateful. Later, guys. Appreciate you, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The ESPN Radio, the ESPN App Series, XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. And guess what? Kyrie is back. We've waited. He missed seven games. But believe me, we know Kyrie. He's going to give us the truth. Kyrie asked why he was gone. Asked about his seven-game absence. He really gave us the details here. There's a lot of family and personal stuff going on. So... Just want to leave it at that. All right. So that's yeah, it. it's it's tough. I'm not going to demand that someone give up personal details. On the other hand, he hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt fits, if you know what I mean. Like, I like that we're being much more sensitive and taking much more care with the mental health, the the personal lives, the feelings and emotions of, of athletes. And they are human beings, and they do go, go through stuff. Um, I just, unfortunately for him, because of the way he handled himself in this and before this, um, there's a part of me that's very cynical that says, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what was going on, but part of what you'd spent your time doing was partying at a club, right? Like, so whatever was wrong, maybe partying at the club is your answer to that. That's a tougher sell than if someone who didn't have a history of, of the way that he talks his way around things and communicates poorly, uh, had a similar issue and stepped away. Look, I, I have no problem with somebody saying dealing with family stuff, but it's the video that I think changes that because now you've put yourself in a situation where you're answering questions, and that's just real. Like if I told my employer that I was dealing with some family stuff and needed to take some time away from work, and then all of a sudden a video of Sonny and I doing cartwheels up and down Lower Broadway came out, mm-hmm. they, ESPN would ask me questions. Now, in fairness, Kyrie was asked if the events of the world has lessened basketball's importance to him. His answer to this was important. Check it out. Just a separation between what's going on here, you know, when I'm playing professionally and what's going on out in the world. And if you don't create that distinction, then it's easy to feel the weight of the world um, while you're going out there and playing. So, you know, I would be lying sitting here and saying I don't feel what's going on in the world and nor am I paying attention to it. Um, You know, I just have a huge responsibility, I feel, to continue to serve my community and underserved. And, you know, when I'm out here playing, it's continuing to leave knowledge with these guys and and commit to something like I always say, bigger than ourselves, you know, this, this, this team environment here, um, or just in basketball in general, it takes sacrifice and compromise, you know, and we got to come to an agreement and just stand balanced throughout this long journey. So that's all, that's all I'm trying to do. Sarah, it seems like a smart answer. seems like a Mm -hmm. well-thought answer to, to how it impacts him. And these are the questions he's going to be answering constantly because we're trying to figure out, you know, what makes Kyrie tick right now? What's important to him? And, you know, if it is in basketball, is it these events or, or is it some combination of of that? And, and again, that all comes back to because there isn't a lot of clarity and because we have seen him out partying, now it becomes a uh, what's going on in his mind sort of question that I think he unfortunately is going to have to answer consistently because we don't have enough answers. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to ask if somebody can balance whatever these outside interests or 
concerns are with their job, whether they're a $30 million basketball player in the spotlight or someone who goes to work at Walgreens every day. Their bosses are going to ask them, are you able to do your job? Do we need to make according plans for someone else to do your job? Uh, and, and Kyrie has done remarkable things. I saw someone posted, uh, there's a compilation probably from The Jump or somewhere, donated 300000 plus to Feeding America, partnered with City Harvest to ensure 25, uh, sorry, 250,000 meals distributed to New Yorkers, gave 17 pallets of food and masks to Standing Rock Sioux Tribe with Nike, $1.5 million to WNBA players who opted out of the season, paid off nine historically black colleges and university students' college tuition, purchased a house for the family of George Floyd. This is all just in one year. He is incredibly invested in this stuff, and that is extremely meaningful. The problem is is that you need to somehow communicate if you're still con- incredibly invested in the basketball side of your of, of your life, of the job that you are being paid to do. Uh, you, you have to have both of those, and it is not a knock on anyone who wants to ask that question. They are not downplaying the importance of his work. They're simply saying that you also have a job and, and you need to communicate about it. And all of these things can exist at once. I mean, it can be that there are other things that are important to Kyrie, and it's still fair to ask these questions, not just for us, but even for his teammates. I mean, at some level, he comes back into the locker room, and, and obviously that's going to be their sacred area, and they'll figure it out as a team. But they're going to have to figure out where his priorities lie and where he stands on all of this because the one thing you got to do is figure out what needs to be put around him culturally within the organization so that this doesn't happen again. It's not just mm-hmm. about getting Kyrie back. It's about keeping him back. And that's going to be an interesting challenge in the world in 2021. Uh, Obviously, we got a lot to get into it, but the big breaking story today involves the New York Mets. One of the people who broke that story will join us next. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and as always on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Tuesday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And joining us now, ESPN NFL reporter and baseball newsbreaker, Mina Kimes, whose story with Jeff Passan hit last night about the New York Mets GM, Jared Porter, acknowledging sending explicit messages to a female reporter when he worked for the Cubs, has since been let go by the Mets. Mina, I know it's been a really busy day talking about a variety of things on all the different shows, uh, so thanks for giving us some time. I wonder, what's what's the toughest part journalistically of trying to put together a story like this that you've been working on for several years before you were finally able to post it? Well, I think um, it's not waiting for a source to be comfortable, but making sure that you are sensitive to all of the aspects that go into that, if that makes sense, both in the reporting and the writing of the story. You know, um, our source in this piece was very, you know, I mean, part of the reason it took so long was she did not want to come forward at first. And um, we wanted to make sure that her identity was protected as we had, you know, the texts and uh, details of what happened in hand. And um, that was something that was on my mind from start to finish this entire time. So, Mina, one of the questions that we've been trying to sort of wrap our heads around is what the Mets should have known going into the hiring process, given all the investigation you did around it. Should they have been aware that this was even existing? Or the Cubs. Yeah. um, So with the Mets, I I think it's fair to say 
or it's understandable that they didn't know, frankly. Um, now, we'll learn more in the coming days if anyone in the Cubs or wherever, you know, either knew or had reason to suspect this um, at the moment. What's in the story is what we know. Um, and, of course, we know that this is the only person, or at this point we know this is the only person we know of. But it, this is, it's tough with, you know, like, I, I did notice some people saying, well, the Mets don't do background checks. This isn't the kind of thing that turns up right. in a background check. Um, I saw, I believe it was Hannah Kieser asked a great question of Sandy Elderson at his press conference, you know, if they spoke with any women about the hire and he said no and there aren't women in these positions and I think that in itself it's not a damning indictment of the Mets it's more of an indictment of the sports culture and you know the lack of um, diversity in the top ranks. Mina Kimes with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline talking about the story she wrote with Jeff Passan about now fired uh former GM, short-lived GM of the Mets, Jared Porter. You mentioned uh, this is not something that is likely to come up in background checks or, or be known by the team that he's working for, the team he's hired by. You'd like to hope that they didn't know, and certainly it is worth investigating to make sure that they didn't know and didn't cover it up. But beyond that, there is a way of treating the situation now that it's happened. And the first and most definitive mood is to fire him, which they did. But Sandy Alderson today on the press conference talking about it uh, revealed information about the story that was not in your report, intentionally so, and that was uh, meant to be kept discreet. This is such a part, Mina, of why people don't report. The number of people that then have to be in possession of your private information and take care of you and what you're willing to share and what is dangerous to you to share uh, is innumerable. And I can't imagine your frustration at things that you protect and care for not being respected by others. Yeah, you know, you asked me at the beginning what was the most difficult part, and I said the sensitivity of the subject and wanting to respect that and be careful with it. And I guess all we, all I can do is hope that other people, and not just people involved in the story and the team, but also the media reporting on it, um, use similar sensitivity uh, and are, you know, um, concerned about sort of all of the potential risks when you are talking about these types of situations. Um, it's not, it's beyond my control, but I think, and that goes beyond this story, by the way, you know, I think what we just discussed is the precariousness of anonymity at times and the risks. That's something that should be taken into account every time we're talking about a story like this. Um, Cause it, this is a, sadly a story, a type of story that comes up not infrequently. And then on top of that, think about all the times it doesn't come up and it's not publicized. Um, I think most, many women in the industry, both in and around it, covering it, were not terribly surprised, not because of the person involved, but because of the frequency with which these types of things actually happen and are never discussed. So, Mina, talk a little bit about that for anyone that hasn't dove, di- uh, dived into it, dove into it. I don't know. I, I can't speak. Um, you're, t- you're talking about her caution and wanting to come forward, mm-hmm. given that she's not in the industry anymore. Explain why that was so important to her. Um, yeah, so this is a source I was connected with quite some time about and have checked in with periodically. Um, and I, her reason for wanting to tell the story is the same reason she had when she first came to me, which is she 
wanted to protect other women, frankly. And, and, you know, I think what we've seen generally with Me Too over the years is as this sort of sharing becomes normalized, the hope is not only that other women are unafraid, but that men and, and, and women and the systems that keep people in power are more conscious of the risks involved and the, the, this type of thing and how to handle it. Um, so that motivation has never changed. You know, she has nothing to gain from this coming out. In fact, only to lose, but her situation changed. Um, you know, as you said, she's no longer in the industry and that was sort of a, a tipping point for her. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Mina Kimes about the firing of, of the new 35 days on the job Mets GM, Jared Porter. Mina, you are a brilliant person in the commercial. Fitz and I were just talking about your previous work covering uh, businesses and exposing the use of cement. And I can't even remember now. It was too complicated. Even just I just read it. Uh, you're just you, you've, you've covered so many things outside of just the sports world. Um, I feel like I bang my head against a wall every time a story like this comes up. I joke that I have a DP bat signal, meaning, oh, I guess I'm on my beat now. My beat is either a woman does something great or a man does something stupid. Now start writing, right? Like that's that's kind of like, and and I'm sick of beating my head against a wall and trying to say, how do we change this? Do you have any idea? Because to me, it feels like it's about societal things trickling down of men and entitlement. And if I work hard enough, I get what I want, no matter whether I'm told no. And it's too many men in power, not enough women. Up, like there's, there's too many things at play here. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I'll say this, Sarah. I was kind of heartened by, um, not just the response. I, I, you know, the team and whatnot, but but I was heartened that people seem to identify the central issue a lot. And by people, I mean the public. The central issue at hand, which was power. Um, you know. We're, a facet of the story that I thought was very important. I think people recognized readers and was that um, this is not only about a woman, a reporter, a subordinate. It's about a woman who is from another country who barely spoke English, barely speaks English. And that to me only amplified the power imbalance and the, again, dangers for this person of coming forward. And I think Like I said, it was um, heartening to me to see that people seem to recognize how important that was and why it was such a violation. Right. That it it was it was predatory and pathological and not simply a one off that could be excused by anything. It was clearly about power and taking advantage. Amina, you did such a fantastic job on the story. And I've had so many people reach out to me. I'm sure you have, too, with their own stories and you know, the best we can hope is that the conversation around it shines a light on it and helps prevent it from happening in the future. So appreciate the work. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Mina. Mina Kimes with us here on Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, we'll react to Mina uh, and a little bit more on this Met story coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, the biggest news of today. The Mets have parted ways with GM Jared Porter, former GM, lasted a little over a month in the job after a report came out to ESPN.com, done by Jeff Baston and many times who we just talked to, that out, that, lined a, that, that outlined 
the texts and images sent by Porter to a reporter in 2016, at one point over 60 texts in a row sent uh, with no response, Sarah. And it raises some questions and questions you and Mina were having some uh, some tough conversation about, too. And I, I think it's always interesting because how do we get better? And And the one thing that I would say, first and foremost, and I learned this during my time in Nashville uh, from a, a charity called MEND uh, that works in, and helps women that have been uh, domestic violence abused. And uh, part of the thing that they really stress in their training is you got to start to demand better conversation to your left and right, meaning look around to the people around you and hold everybody to a higher standard. I don't know how we do that, but there has to be some sort of a moment where that becomes part of the new norm for culture, right? So I will at least say for the Mets, and, and that's why I thought it was important to ask Mina whether or not the Mets would have discovered this in the uh, in the hiring process. For the Mets to act swiftly, I think is at least a moment where you can say, okay, they're showing you that there is a standard, and the more accountability, the better it will be for the future of trying to limit this sort of behavior. Yeah, and the the, the answer is yes. It's a good thing that they fired him and they acted swiftly. It's a bad thing that the way they handled that firing, firing still showed that they have not done the work to understand the nuances of workplace harassment. The idea that they would reveal discrete information that was intentionally left out of the report and that has been protected by the people working with their source for years reveals that they have not taken the time to truly understand how it can affect people who have been a part of this industry and have left this industry as a result of the treatment. And you're 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 seeing stories across the gamut from women in this industry who have taken time to write down maybe for another time something they've already shared and they're repeating it again. This is what happened to me and this is how it happened and this is why it happened and this was my response to it. And I'm still here and I'm still doing this job, but I shouldn't have to deal with it to do my job. And again, the reason I, I got frustrated at the end is because I do think that it's a combination of so many factors that are not part of the sports world or even the workplace. Right. It's a combination of literally historical belief that women lie. Women can't be trusted. Going back to Eve, going back to hysteria, going there. There's literally a a police department uh, that was called the lying B words unit. And that was their sex crimes department. Right. The idea that women can't be trusted and they're probably lying and that we're going to do whatever we can to maintain the power structure and the patriarchy is the biggest and highest level, right? And then from there on, it's what is their value? Are they actual stars in their own life or are they ancillary characters that can affect the lives and successes of men, which we see all the time with domestic violence or sexual assault. We feel so bad for that swimmer. Look at the future he could have had. Had he not raped that girl, but forget about her for a second. Let's talk about him and all the things he could have done with his life. If he hadn't been caught doing the thing that he did that is a crime that will forever affect her life. We're not going to talk about what we lost when, when that happened to her. Right. It's the idea that we're ancillary characters in the lives of men who are the priority. And so when we get in the way, even by not doing anything or asking for anything, the result will always be how do we spin this to blame them? And again, I've written stories about this, the idea of a, a culture that is a just world. It is easier to believe that when something bad happens to someone, they caused it somehow because we don't want to live somewhere where you can be a good person and bad things can happen to you. It's much easier to contort ourselves to try to figure out a way that you brought this on yourself. And especially we do that with women who are victimized by powerful men, because if they're powerful, they're probably smart and, and deserving of the, of the success they have. They must be a good person. We conflate those things all the time. There are plenty of terrible people who have risen to great power. And they are probably 
up there in part because of the things that they were willing to do to get there. So we can keep having all these conversations, fits as if it's specific to sports, but the thing that's so frustrating is it's not. And so until we figure out how to have the world and society value women as human beings and not as ancillary, we're going to keep having this problem and it's going to be a new generation of women with no power or agency in the business being taken advantage of people until they move far enough up the ranks that it is too risky to do that to them anymore without fearing your job loss. Well, and I realize that social media isn't real. By the way, it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I realize that so much of what we see on social media isn't real from whether or not it's bots or whether or not it's people that are simply espousing opinions to try and flame things up. You know, But there is some level to the point that you're making that I found frustrating today in watching the amount of people that were trying to figure out some reason why she brought this on herself. Like mm-hmm. at some point she didn't respond to the text. Like you, you, you got to look around everybody and say, Hey, be better. Like just in that moment, be, be better. Like have yeah, some Fitz, I saw sense. a guy that said, I thought this was going to be a trap, but good job on this story. Like, so it wasn't even someone who wanted to be evil about it. Like they ended up agree, but they first had to say, Oh, for, well, I assumed. I mean, and, and, and why? Like, that, that's such a weird thing here to, to look at somebody that is no longer in this business and that has watched the person that did that to her ascend. And then through all of this process, you know, the timing of it, which we discussed earlier, I don't think should be a, a discussion. And, you know, there is no spot here where I can look at a reporter talking to a front office executive in Major League Baseball and say, well, you know, she had this coming. Like, oh, she's just trying to do her job. Like, I just, uh, the, the whole process, it seems so shady the way everybody deals with it. And that's why at some point I go back to you have to sort of demand better. This is that moment where you got to look at the people, not you, but I've got to look at the people that are around me that are saying these things and saying, okay, that's just not an okay logic. Like, that's the only way we can stop any level of this is to actually stop the conversation when you hear it, try and correct it, and try and enforce people to think outside the box. I just don't know if that's even possible. Like, I, you know, me, ever the optimist, and, and it's hard for me to find the optimism that. Well, one of the things that we need to do is have conversations with boys before they become men about expectations and about views of masculinity that do prioritize the getting of women and the earning of sex, right? As if it's something that you're owed and entitled to, and it's just a matter of how to me- how do you manipulate someone into giving you that thing that you want, even if they've told you they don't want to give it to you. And also the idea that men are not made based off of their the women that they can conquer and get. And, and like the very basic premise of what it is to, like, you know, I got really frustrated um, and a lot of people said I was overreacting, but if you remember... Brent Musburger has a tendency to say idiotic things during games that he's calling, um, including where he implies that if you are a quarterback, you will get a hot girl, right? There was uh, 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 A.J. McCarron's girlfriend in the crowd, and it was everybody, you know, all the young boys out there are going to be a quarterback now, as if because of that you've earned this trophy or this person that is a part of your success. And when men believe that with success they are owed or entitled to a woman – this is the behavior that re- that occurs. You, you send 60 messages with no response and somewhere in your brain you still think, I'm going to keep sending them? Now I'm going to up the ante and send my genitals? Right? That's born from a belief that you are entitled to something. And we got to get to the root of those things much earlier so that it doesn't feel like that's the norm. It's been a difficult time for Mets fans, I'm sure, to go from such a high over the last mm-hmm. few days of thinking about where the organization is going to go 
to such a low and then in some ways I think a high in saying, hey, at least we fired him and we're on the right side. And then to your point, even in the process of the firing, they then make a misstep that again has Mets fans feeling low. Like that, that's an up and down because at the end of the day, what we should all want not only is a great team on the field, but also a team that's easy to root for. And these are the sorts of mistakes that you got to see teams own up to so that you can root for them with a clear conscience. I, I believe that that matters more than ever. Uh, we'll keep breaking it down, but coming up, one of the great tag teams is at it again. One win away from another Super Bowl appearance. We'll tell you about it. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously a huge weekend of football, and we got a lot to get you caught up on, but we're going to bring in some expertise now to help us uh, know what to expect from everything. From one of the best in the NFL right now, Logan Ryan, New York Giants cornerback, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. Logan, thanks so much for the time. Uh, we really appreciate you hanging out with us. You know, obviously, from your playing time with Brady, Gronk, you know those guys well. When you watch them now play in this Tampa Bay uh, offense, what are your thoughts? What's going on? First of all, thanks for having me. For sure. Um, the Mac Miller song was dope. Cool, <laughs> cool intro there. Um, Brady and Gronk, man, love those guys, former teammates of mine. Um, I know they'll be ready for the game. I just know how Brady works, how he practices. Um, I had, was fortunate to be drafted and, and learn from, you know, two future Hall of Famers on how to work every day and the details. And, you know, he's in year 17 when I'm a rookie, and he's still out practicing people. So I know how, you know, important this is to him, and they're going to do everything they can um, to be on the same page and, you know, try to score some touchdowns on Sunday. I want to talk more about those guys, but first I want to ask, you know, as a Giants player, have you gotten over that Eagles loss yet, or are we still angry? <laughs> Where are we at on this? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm over it, man. I think, um, you know, prices were paid down there in Philly. They're in some turmoil right now and looking to get a new coach. So hopefully they, you know, hire a great one, and um, or maybe not. I don't know if I hope that, but, you know, I think uh, – <laughs> Price, prices were paid for that, obviously. Karma. Karma. Yeah. So yeah. I, okay. I, I think it messed them up. You know, it, it kind of set us back a little bit, but we didn't put ourselves in the best position to make the playoffs this year, winning six games. But I think it set them back a little further and set us. I think we're doing all right. So, Logan, I feel like every time we watch in the AFC particularly, we all become enamored with everything that Patrick Mahomes does. Uh, you played on a Titans team, uh, obviously, that uh, dealt with that a lot. Uh, when you look at this version of the Chiefs compared to last version of the, last year's version of the Chiefs, how do they line up and stack up to you? You know, I, I can't. Um, I watched some of that playoff game. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't watch in depth. I wasn't, you know, this time last year I was preparing for the AFC Championship against the Chiefs. So, and we played them earlier in the year. We actually beat them earlier in the year. And um, I can't say I watched them as much being in the NFC this year to give you an apples to oranges um, complete comparison. I mean, I just think those guys that play together long enough, they know the expectation of what it takes. And, um, you know, it's hard to win a Super Bowl and come back and make another run at it. There's a lot of pressure against you, and it seemed to do really good at it. And, you know, Mahomes is a really good, really good player. So I can't compare the teams. I, I haven't studied them enough. But, I mean, last year team was dangerous and um, – you know, I think I think Buffalo's be a really good test for them. I really like what Buffalo's doing. I really like the energy they play with. I mean, Leslie Frazier, what that defense did against Baltimore, 
Um, I text our D coordinator some of the stuff that I was watching him do. It was really genius. I think he's a really good coach. And I know a lot of players on that team, and they're playing really well right now. I think it would be, you know, the Chiefs' biggest test this year. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Logan Ryan of the New York Giants. Congrats on signing the new deal. Three more years with the Giants. And uh, other than fans who will be quite excited about that, I imagine the dogs of New York will also be excited Ooh. because, again, I'm going off book here. I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm, I'm calling an audible because I, I noticed all the dog stuff and I'm a huge dog rescue fan. So you have your own foundation, Ryan Animal Rescue Foundation, RARF, which I love. And RARF, uh, I love it. Um, so tell me about why you're so dedicated to this cause and why this is so important to you. Yeah, RARF.org. Come check us out. Um, my wife's honestly, you know, my wife and I run the foundation. Uh, my wife's my college sweetheart from Rutgers. Uh, we met at Rutgers from New Jersey. Um, she's from Delaware, Biden's from, so that's good for Delaware. And, um, you know, we, we, we got a dog together in college. And when I was playing with the New England Patriot Patriots, my wife was kind of bouncing around a couple of careers. Like a lot of people around that age, 21, 22, trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. And, um, she said, you know what, I'm just going to go work at an animal shelter and make a difference there. And she was literally took a job making minimum wage, sweeping up after dogs and, I would come visit, visit her, and we had a, a, a puggle, a pug beagle mix Nala off the of, of Lion King already. And mm-hmm. I would come visit her, check out the dogs. She wanted to adopt a lot of them. And and I just saw, like, man, like, you know, these, these animals, they were there for a long time in this animal shelter in Providence. And um, they weren't getting adopted. And I was like, you know, if I just thumb up my Instagram, maybe people can come see how cool these dogs look. Maybe these dogs would get a second look, a second chance, a third That's chance. That's awesome. And I uh, started throwing them on my Instagram, and some of them started getting adopted. And then we started making a Ryan's Monthly Rescue, where every the 26th of every month, my former jersey number before I played on the same team as Saquon Barkley, um, <laughs> you know, I threw them up on my Instagram and, and, and t- take the toughest dogs, toughest cases out of the toughest shelters, blind dogs, deaf dogs, three-legged dogs. And um, they're, they're, having, they're finding homes. A lot of people That's saw so awesome. you know, the football fan it. base. And then it just kind of just grew into RARF. It kind of grew to a 501c3 nonprofit. We raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. I donated $100,000 to do any crazy cause I can think of to help these rescue animals get attention, get love, let people know it's a cool thing to do. It's 2021, man. It's time to adopt. Um, breeding and all that stuff is, is so dated. And this is the way to kind of kind of go. And um, we've rescued a couple of dogs since then. And we've raised a lot of money and awareness and helped a lot of other animals get rescued. Cats, what? too. I'm also a foster uh, foster dad. <laughs> we foster kittens during COVID, so love it. showing them love, too. Well, Logan, like I lived in Nashville for 20-plus years, and Rarf has had a huge impact on the city here. And, and Sarah and I are both huge animal lovers and, uh, you know, adopt uh, adopt people. So that's that's amazing. I, I have to ask you about the Giants because Giants fans will kill me if I don't. So, uh, obviously, sure. Joe, Judge, uh, Joe Judge brings in this culture. It's got Giants fans fired up. You've played for some different coaches. What What makes it click with Joe Judge and that team? I mean, you know, I think football is changing. I think um, life is changing. I think you need to have talks more than just football. I think Joe's able to have those talks. I think Joe's really relatable. He's an honest, um, straight shooter. I mean, he was born in Philly. You know, he's going to tell out, tell you how he, tell you how it is, what he thinks. Um, demanding, um, fundamentally sound. So he preaches all the old school thoughts that I think you need to be a good football coach. But he's very approachable, very straight up um, with everybody, commands respect. And he's a very good teacher. He, Joe Judge is a very good teacher of, of, of 
of anything. I think he can teach anything pretty well. And he's a father as well, has young kids like me. Um, obviously, it was very relatable, some situations I was going through personally, me and my wife this season, and he felt for that. So I just felt like he's an honest man that works hard and, and that knows the game, and he can teach it. Being a special teams background, you, you talk to the most people in the in the building when you're a special teams coach. You talk to both sides of the ball. So I think he just can relate to everybody. And I'm really excited to play for him. That's why I signed up for more years. I'm happy to be there. And I know there's a lot of coaching hires going on, and us having Pat Graham come back is a huge thing for us Giants fans because he's one of the best coordinators in football. And I think we might only have one more year, probably a head coach this time next year. So we got to make the most of it this next year with him. Giants cornerback Logan Ryan with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Joe Judge obviously coached in New England where you played. Uh, are there crossover points between him and Belichick? What do you see? Yeah, there, there, there's a good bit. I mean, um, how do you not, you know, play for a guy like Belichick or coach under a guy like Belichick and not take things from him? I mean, the way that um, situationally how you look at the game, um, how you kind of teach the game in certain situations that are really important, obviously – the red area, obviously third down, obviously turnovers. I mean, when we saw my man from Cleveland, Higgins, reach the ball out, right? Controversial play, reach the ball out, the helmet to helmet. What are we doing here? Why is that a 20-yard route? Whatever it is. I mean, every ex-New England Patriot and Joe Judge player and Giant who've ever, or Nick Saban, anybody who's ever been in that tree can hear Belichick yelling, don't reach the ball on first down. Like, I literally cringe when he reached the ball out and fumbled <laughs> through that zone. And that's just something that, that Joe Judge is like, we're not going to reach the ball out on first down. The only time you reach the ball out is if it's fourth down or the end of the game, last play of the game. But it's too big of a penalty to fumble out of bounds and the team gets the ball. It's too, whether you, you like the rule or not, it's too, too tragic to an offense to afford to reach the ball out. And we see so many players wanting to get those touchdowns and great, giving great effort and wanting to make those sports center top plays and reach the ball out and jump over people. But when the ball gets knocked out one every 20th time, it, it really sets your team back. So that's definitely a Joe Judge thing that he got from Bill Belichick. But I'm sure every New York Giant who was watching that knew not to do that. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at RealLoganRyan. Obviously, you can check out rarf.org. We appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for the insight, Logan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Have a great New Year. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for the Rarf love. Appreciate you guys. Yes, love being, Rarf. R- R- I also yeah. like the name Rarf. Oh, no, it's a great name. And seriously, like the impact in Nashville was incredible to watch. I'm glad we finally love got him that. on and got to talk to him as uh, animal lovers. Hopefully we can uh, keep I also like that you said Happy New Year because I don't know why. It, I can't explain it, but I have just decided that tomorrow is when the new year starts. Just January 20th is oh. actually the beginning of 2021. I just arbitrarily picked a day. And so I like that you said Happy New Year. It's not too late to say it because tomorrow for me is... Uh, Day one. Just a just random arbitrary date. Just, just a random date. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. What's coming next? Oh, that's right. Quickies next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Here's the jam for today. Are you dancing, Fitz? Are you dancing over there? If you're not dancing to Wilson Phillips, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Things are going away if you hold on for one.
summer day. Sometimes I forget that on the podcast version, they're not going to have the song. So it's just me. I hope I hit the notes without the uh, without the background accompaniment. It's a real risk. It's a real risk. But everybody, uh, hold on for one more day. New Year starts tomorrow. Like I said, just random Random days. Just random, no, that was good. Like for you to just pick that random day. Well, I just feel like twenty twenty one hasn't been what we all hoped it would be. We were like, turn a new page, and then we we're like, oh no, same book. Uh, what's happening? We wanted a new book. Uh, so I'm just like, maybe tomorrow. Why it not? It seems like it's appropriate for twenty twenty to end on the twentieth. Right. That makes 1, sense. 20, yeah. 21, yeah, yeah. One twenty twenty one is yeah. a brand new start. So it's gonna be great. Cross your fingers, cross your toes, hold on to your butts. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You guys are up in my mentions. My phone died. I missed Mina Kimes. It's in the podcast. Oh, I was, uh, my computer wasn't working. I missed the first half. It's in the podcast. All right, so go to the podcast. Subscribe to Spain and Fitz. And you can sometimes get pre- and post-show Digital Ooh. content you can't even get on the radio. With bad uh, it's been a busy day, and we have almost no time left, which means we have to get to everything we didn't get to yet, which means it's time for Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We sure do. First topic of the day, on a day where it was genuinely difficult having to read the stories of so many women in this industry and not be let down, uh, there was some positive news for women in sports. Sarah Thomas will be the first woman to officiate in the Super Bowl. Uh, she was announced as a down judge on referee Carl Cheffer's crew at Super Bowl LV in Tampa. She's been uh, an official in the league since 2015. And uh, you have to have at least five years experience and you're chosen based on in-season performance. So she got the call up for her work and fits. You love to see it. Yeah, and let's uh, take a moment and make sure everybody understands that you, that's not an invite just given based on somebody's personal preference. The crews are graded, and so it is the top graded officials that are given the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which is a reminder that she's going because she's doing her job better than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So just quiet whatever your narrative is. She's doing her <laughs> job better than everybody else's, and as a result, she's going to be part of the Super Bowl crew. And it's just it's amazing that we're at that spot where I don't even think about the fact that I see a female official on the field. Like It doesn't yeah. even stand out in my mind as strange, and, uh, and that's a positive to – the fact that they're trying to continue to get a better diversity uh, platform for NFL officiating, and this is a great moment. Love it. You love to see it. Uh, something you don't love to see, Tiger Woods has had to get another surgery for nerve pain in his lower back. He is out for at least two events, uh, the Farmers Insurance Open and the Genesis Invitational. Um, an announcement on his Twitter account says he recently underwent a microdiscectomy procedure to remove a pressurized disc fragment that was pinching his nerve after experiencing discomfort following the PNC championship. Uh, frustrating for him. And Fitz, you know, golf is one of those sports where there is an expectation that you will be able to play much deeper into your lifetime, right? That's one of the benefits is you can keep playing much later. But this back issue has been a problem for him. He's had this, this is the third time he's getting this same procedure. Uh, he had a more serious one, even in 2017, a spinal fusion. Um, and so uh, you saw the masters play. And I think a lot of people were hoping that he would be back to that kind of play for a long time, but this keeps getting in the way. Well, and, and at some point it's also sort of this reminder that we need to look at every single time that we see tiger play in any capacity as a gift, because we have no idea when He's just not going to be able to do it anymore. So the fact that he's playing at such a high level at times when he plays, instead of spending all that time worrying about how many more majors he'll win, we just need to stop that and stick in the moment and appreciate what we're seeing. 
Yeah. I haven't watched that documentary yet. I have it saved on my DVR. Have you watched it about Tiger? No, not yet. I got to get to that. Um, some sad news today in Quickies. Don Sutton, longtime Dodgers right-hander, won over 300 games en route to a Hall of Fame honor, uh, died uh, yesterday night. His son released the news. Fitz, you know, I don't have much of a connection to Don Sutton. You know, he was 75. He was before my time. But what stands out to me is not only the messages about what a good person he was, what a wonderful person he was, what a mark he left on the franchise and all the people around him and the reporters who covered him and the players who played with him, one of the most consistent players of all time and one of the most beloved, but just the number of Hall of Fame baseball players that have been lost in the last year or so. It feels like you could field an entire World Series winning team. And at some point, you know, with all the difficulty we've faced as a society with loss and 2020, it's easy to start to gloss over some of them or start to uh, find a way to not take that time to appreciate it. You're absolutely right. We've seen so much of it in the past few uh, in the past few months. It feels like we got to stop the cycle and just make sure that we're giving each one of these the appreciation and the respect that they deserve. Uh, in better news, uh, WNBA team, the Atlanta Dream, who you may or may have not heard, has had some issues with their minority owner, and by minority, I mean, I mean, doesn't own a majority, uh, certainly not a minority herself, Senator Kelly Loeffler, uh, close to being finalizing, uh, close to finalizing a sale, a sale of the team. Uh, this, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, as it relates, we understand a sale of the franchise is close to being finalized, and once the sale negotiation is concluded, additional information will be provided. Now, there's no speculation or reporting on the potential buyer. They're currently co-owned by Mary Brock and former outgoing, no longer U.S. Senator Kelly Loeffler, who lost uh, and will no longer be representing uh, Atlanta uh, and Georgia. Um, the question is, is this the group that LeBron James tweeted about? You remember when LeBron James was like, who wants to go with me in on this? How awesome would that be? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and look, this comes on the heels. And we talked about it the other day. Mark Davis uh, going in and buying the Las Vegas Aces. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is capital to be made. And anytime we see people coming in and buying teams for the WNBA, I think that's a spectacular thing because it tells you that outside people looking at the business model feel like there's long-term success and money to be made. And so for if we could get a dream scenario where an ownership group of NBA players with money to burn that want to get into this uh, become part of the ownership culture, I think that's absolutely spectacular for the future of the sport. It's spectacular to make sure that the WNBA has legs to last uh, even uh, longer than uh, and more successfully than it has so far. I, I feel like these are all important things for the stability of the league moving forward. A dream scenario, you say, eh? A dream <laughs> scenario. Uh, Mookie Betts and Kevin Hart among those that reportedly were ready to join LeBron in a potential bid. No indication yet that that's who the group is, but that would be pretty awesome. And to your point, uh, I believe that one of the biggest and most meaningful ways to change representation and diversity in sports is at the ownership level. And the idea of having black prominent uh, celebrities owning a team uh, is massive. And the cool factor of established NBA baseball comedic stars, Hollywood stars uh, being attached to the WNBA um, is massive because we all know so much of sports is talking around the water cooler, being up on what everyone's talking about, and that kind of coverage and, and excitement you get around teams when those people get attached to it is what's what we're seeing with uh, Angel City FC, the new uh, NWSL team in Los Angeles, that bunch of celebrities buying in and everybody's all of a sudden really wanting to watch. So, 
You love to see it, Fitz. Yeah, it's like crossover appeal. At some point yep. when you're a sport or that is trying to grow, you've got to find a reason to be part of the cultural conversation outside of your sport, and that's a huge part of it. Um. Wonder what Kyle Loeffler will do. Actually, I don't. I'm. I don't care at all. <laughs> Everyone, have a great night. Happy Eve of the New Year. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Freddie Fitzsimmons next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.